Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And what's up, y'all? Welcome back in Tuesday episode of GC Live. He is Chris Clark. I am Wes Mitchell. Chris back joining me. I'm telling you, man, the show almost fell apart without you yesterday. Uh, the the entire internet decided to crash. StreamYard was down. StreamYard is actually the platform behind the scenes that we use. So I tried to hop on YouTube and was going directly from YouTube. But for whatever reason, because I've never gone directly from YouTube, it was not recognizing the mic. So then I just unplugged the mic, but then it wasn't recognizing the regular microphone on the laptop. And eventually we got going, but there were no graphics. There was nothing. Um, it, it was it was a mess, man. But we're back. We think we're back. We're back at our normal slot, our normal uh, platform. Not quite our normal time, but it is our normal time for Tuesday because this is Shane Beamer press conference day every single week. Today, Beamer, of course, previewing this South Carolina matchup coming up this Saturday at noon at Tennessee. Uh, before we get into that, got to tell you about our good buddy Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933 is how you can get in touch with Clint. He is, of course, the branch manager of the Columbia Mortgage Network, NMLS number 71597, C. Hammond, that's the letter C, Hammond at mortgagenetwork.com. Uh, Clint, of course, uh, if you know a guy that can help you out in a number of different ways, but mainly if you are in the market for a new home or you want to refinance and maybe see what options you have there, Clint is your guy. Give him a shout. You see the you see the number, you see the address right above my head every single show. If you're joining us on YouTube, which is where you should be joining us, if you ask me. But no matter where you watch or listen, we appreciate you. Some big news today, of course. Um Chris, I think we got to start with the in-house news. Uh, Mike Yuva joining GamecockCentral.com. As, as some of you know, we do have a website. It is GamecockCentral.com. We broke that news to some of you recently that we, we have a website. So come on over, GamecockCentral.com. We are pumped. We are beyond pumped to have Mike Yuva officially join GamecockCentral.com in a full-time capacity we even I had a couple people ask me, Chris, so is he like for real joined or he's like helping y'all out? No, this is a full-time hire. He is officially a part of the GamecockCentral.com crew, and he will actually, uh, I'm sure at some point, be joining us uh, for some appearances here on GC Live as well. So, Chris, pumped. How about you? Very excited, man. And, um, you know, uh, another common question we've got since this announcement came out is kind of, what where do things go from here like what does this mean for our listeners our readers our subscribers i even had somebody uh one of our subscribers on gamecockcentral.com kind of gave me a list does it mean more podcasts does it mean more video does it mean more breaking news and inside scoop yes hey look (laughs) i was i was my exact answer i said in a general sense answer to your question your questions yes all of those things as we move forward some of it, you guys are just going to have to wait and see. But we've had a lot of conversations um, recently about exactly what that's going to look like. But we know, you guys know that we've tried to do more and more video content. GC Live, a big part of that. So we'll be doing more of that, more podcasts, more breaking news. Mike has a great reputation with all that stuff. And so we got we got some great ideas brewing, some great things brewing. And I'm very excited to have him as part of our team. I think uh, we got better today with that announcement. And so, yeah, make sure you check out the website, GamecockCentral.com. Was that a coach speak? Yeah, uh, you just busted out that we got better today. We uh, did. We did. We, our, our, our crew got better at Gamecock Central, and uh, I'm excited about it. Yeah, you see it right under my head if you're on the YouTube version or Facebook or Twitter. 
Try Gamecock Central free. Use the code MIXWATER. Uh, no mixing in waters today, though. If you're out there celebrating, we are celebrating here on Gamecock Central. Of course, as I said, Shane Beamer talking a bit about Tennessee today. But, Chris, uh, we have not uh, gotten your take. And, you know, I, I gave some thoughts. I was kind of honestly sitting here just rambling uh, yesterday. So, I don't know if I hit all my thoughts or not. I just uh, um, rambled on with the folks who, who stuck with me there and talked a little ball. So, the, the word that kept coming to mind for me for this game this past week was just weird. It was just a weird game, man. You know, everything – I don't want to say everything that could go wrong went wrong because South Carolina ended up winning the game. But a lot that could go wrong went wrong. Um, they still found a way to win. They still found a way to get it done. But, um, there, you know, clearly a lot to clean up. I, You know, I made the point that I, I thought the, the first drive of, of the game, Chris – offensively for South Carolina, may, maybe was one of the best drives I've seen from the offense all year long as far as just putting together a drive as opposed to just an explosive play. You know, we, we've we talked about how much they've relied on, um, you know, a, a explosive plays. So we've seen that. And, you know, then you, you don't finish it with a touchdown, which I think takes a little bit of the luster off that first drive. That ended up being a problem throughout the day, not finishing off drives. Beamer's talked about that. I think he talked about it Saturday. He talked about it Sunday, and now he's talked about it Tuesday. So clearly bothered him a little bit, right? Um, but for me, Chris, I, I look and final drive, same deal. One of their best drives, I think, of the season as well. Once again, had to settle for a field goal. Um, but there were some flashes here or there from the offense, but also – still the lack of ability to just line up and run the football. Uh, you know, I, I made the point at, at one point I looked and South Carolina had about 80 yards of rushing and 50 something of them were on Josh Van misdirection plays from the wide receiver position. So I, I framed it like this, man. And then I'm going to let you talk. Um, I framed it like I appreciated that the offensive staff found some ways to run the football, whether it was that type of stuff or just getting the ball out, swing plays to Juju McDowell, which might as well be runs, you know. Um, you know, the little pop pass, jet sweep thing that gets counted as a pass but really is a run. They were trying some different things, and some of those things worked. But I, I think the reason you generally bog down when you get in the red zone a lot of times comes back to not being able to line up, move the guy in front of you, and run the football. Yeah, it's been a huge problem. And, um, you know, one of the things we talked about coming into this game was, you know, a game like Troy, um, teams of that caliber, it's not one of the best teams that South Carolina is going to face this year. And so even some really good Gamecocks teams of the past have lined up against teams that on paper they should be, you know, they're better than, and they've struggled in one area or another. The problem is, is not running the ball, the mistakes, the self-inflicted wounds, all those types of things, those have been a theme, West for the first five games, even against EIU, a very comfortable win. We saw some of these things, and that's why after week one we were talking about that. Okay, was that an aberration or will it be a theme against ECU? It continued. So every game we've seen it in some form or fashion. Uh, the mistakes have continued. They've been a little bit different types of mistakes. Like, as you said, the game was weird, so – you know, a mistake like dropping the ball on the goal line when it should be a touchdown and then it's a touchback in favor of the other team. A lot of post-snap things, holding, a late hit, et cetera. Uh, Beamer went into that today during his press conference a little bit. They didn't have as many pre-snap procedural things. Okay, but they still had way too many mistakes. Offensively, the theme has been lack of ability to run the ball. Josh Van on the two reverses, well-designed plays well-executed plays. Good thing to have those plays. Good on the coaching staff for putting them in. But Josh Van was the leading rusher in this game. Still a problem, right? The the constant being behind the chains. Uh, that was a huge theme within this game, and we've seen it a lot this season. Wes, I think there were only two drives where South Carolina did not face a, a very unfavorable down and distance. I went into this into the insider report. We saw – what, first and 22, third and 25. We saw that over and over and over. 
and there were only two drives where South Carolina didn't face a negative down and distance, meaning a first and more than 10, a second and more than 10. There are two of those drives. One of them was a punt. One of them, the only offensive touchdown. So you kind of look at this offense and you say, if they could play a clean game, if, and they could do that more than one game or more than one you know stretch, could they score more points despite the lack of a running game? Probably so. I think because the passing game has been a little bit better than we anticipated. They've schemed up some ways to get the ball on the outside. But the the biggest two impediments to this offense is the inability to run the football. Nobody I've talked to can even put a finger on it and has a great answer as to why. And then the self-inflicted wounds that have come through penalties. You know, we, we've seen that constantly throughout the season. Now, Kevin Harris, at the end of the game, I think his last about five runs, Wes, his last run of the game, I think, was one yard. But he strung together seven, six, five yard runs in those last five runs and started to look better. And Kevin even said today that the staff, you know, made a concerted effort to call some runs that he ran better. The only thing I know is that they have got to find a way to, A, cut out the penalties. They were a little bit better in that regard, even against Kentucky. They would just fizzle out one way or another, to play a complete game, they're going to cut out the penalties and they're going to have to run the football better. That that second thing, running the football better, it just hasn't worked all year, and I, I don't know really what the answer is. Well, add yourself to the list because um, that's the trillion-dollar question right now, man. Jeez. Um, if, uh, you know, if you had that answer, maybe, you know, Maybe you're not sitting here talking to us because it's been a, a little right. bit strange to see play out like that. Um, you know, and, and Travis, uh, and, and I always, by the way, appreciate Travis's takes on here, Chris, uh, a a loyal chatter here and someone that, um, you know, I, I think creates their own opinions on things. Brings up a good point here. A, as good as Josh Van has been, the fade to Josh Van from a personnel standpoint as opposed to, you know, a fade to EJ Jenkins, you know, I, I'm going with the six, seven guy or six, five. If you, you know, if you go by someone earlier this year who was convinced that uh, EJ is not six, seven, he is six, seven, by the way, walked by him in the hall today. Good grief. Um, so yeah, to me, if you're going to throw the fade, that goes back to something that's been talked about quite a bit. What were we talking about early on that, play calling is going to be dictated by personnel and personnel is going to be dictating the play calling. Well, fade to EJ down at the goal line. And, um, you know, at least that first drive, once they, they got down there, it was really not uh, a concerted effort to run the football inside the 10 on the first drive. So um, some of that now where you may be, I don't know, where you may be trying to get the ball to a tight end, where you trying to uh, spread the ball around to those guys, potentially um, it, it sure seemed that way, but, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm with y'all. EJ at the goal line is something I think we probably need to see more of. And as we sort of bring this conversation forward and into what Beamer had to say today, that was probably one of my biggest takeaways from the, the entire, I would say, press conference today. We think, or at least I'll, I'll speak for myself. I feel like we have seen EJ Jenkins start to come on. Um, I had heard he was coming on in practice last week. I put it in the final thoughts prior to the game. Watch out for EJ Jenkins to possibly play more. Um, I'd heard he's been making some plays in practice that are like eye-popping. Beamer mentioned that today. He made one of the best catches he's ever seen. And, you know, I I thought it was kind of interesting. Beamer saying, do you remember when Beamer was asked maybe a few weeks ago, hey, why didn't EJ Jenkins play more? And he gave sort of – he didn't say EJ – but he said, um, he said, hey, um, you know, if, if you want to play here, you got to practice um, to the point that you earn your playing time base. So you got to practice better. And he sort of made it like he was. I'm not specifically talking about him. But then he tells us today, um, you know, they specifically basically looked EJ Jenkins, I guess, looked up um, into his eyes and said, right, you want to play? Got to practice better. Some guys go sort of go in the hole when they hear that. Some guys get angry when they hear hear that. Some guys step it up. 
And it, it sounds like EJ has stepped it up. He has been transitioning to more of a true wide receiver role, which is where he's been lining up the last few weeks every time I've seen him on the field. But um, I, I think, Chris, if um, if what we saw and if what they saw in practice last week and if what we saw in the two passes delivered to him this past Saturday are any indication, then um, I, I think EJ Jenkins stock way up. Yeah, and, and it will be interesting to see how they continue to integrate him. You know, that was what we heard a lot early in the season. Why is why is EJ Jenkins not playing more? We know that he missed some practice time dealing with an issue, so that was part of it. But part of it is what has come out now, just getting more comfortable, kind of the staff defining a role for him, EJ practicing better. I think all those things have kind of met a little bit. Now, we don't need to start saying, okay, now – E.J. Jenkins is now the best receiver on the team, and he's going to get 10 targets a game, and he's going to be the leading receiver. You don't need to make that jump at all. But to have him become what the staff envisioned they thought he could be would certainly be helpful to this offense. So he's obviously a guy that can be a mismatch in the red zone, but he's also a huge target on look at the touchdown catch that he had. When you have a six seven guy coming across the middle with that type of catch radius, and you're running some of those boots and those play actions and things that, that we saw a lot of in the Troy game. Sometimes your quarterback's throwing on the run. That's a guy that you can count on, you know, to go get the football for you because of that catch radius. So uh, moving him around and getting him more comfortable, I think that's certainly a positive for this team. Uh, it, it was a huge storyline coming into this year to have him take a step forward, to have Josh Van take a step forward, to carry on Joyner. Some of those things have not happened as we thought. Some of them have happened maybe a little bit more than we thought they would. But no doubt having him, you know, take a step forward and hopefully for South Carolina and EJ Jenkins, you know, this Saturday was was a step in that direction. Yeah, I I, I think it's a sign of things to come, man. I, I look at his ability. He looks like he has strong hands as well. Like both both of those catches he made weren't even necessarily a result of his height. It was just that he uh, he was using his catch radius, certainly, but using his hands just to to take the ball away. And I think that's a good sign for him. He's never going to be a straight burner by any means, but when you look at him down the field, he's a little bit of a long strider. Obviously, uh, he's going to be able to go up and get the football above people. And even, dude, even if he can just be, I don't know, a number two type receiver, number three type receiver, another option for this offense, that could potentially go a long way. Um, Bill on Facebook says, Chris, that you two always sugarcoat things as if we are fine. It is time to get tough, Chris. You have to realize that our talent level is not up to par with other SEC teams. Capital letters, facts are facts. Stop sugarcoating this program. We are two and six in the SEC at best. Okay. I'm glad we were able to help you get that out. I don't know what we've said today that remotely could be construed as sugarcoating or that even had anything to do with this team's record or talent level. Um, But if you want to point that out to us and give us a little more information about what you're talking about, feel free to go ahead and add another comment. If anything, I believe we've said from the entire offseason that this was going to be a year that expectations should not be especially high. And we even said going into the Kentucky game that that was going to be a massive game that maybe is the difference in bowl eligibility and not being bowl eligible later on. So, I don't know, Bill. Um, Glad you get it out. I don't know if you have us confused with somebody else or what the deal is, but we haven't even been talking about that. So, um, moving forward, Chris, injury update from today. Fairly uh, same deal as Sunday. South Carolina relatively good health moving forward. I, I think maybe the most interesting thing to me, uh, other than the EJ Jenkins stuff, is the the chatter about sort of Tennessee's progress the last week. Kind of, dude, they they came out of nowhere. Like I, I don't know about you, I didn't expect them to just beat the brakes off of Missouri, and now all of a sudden this is a different matchup than I think we thought it was three or four weeks ago. Beamer was asked specifically about his team, and if he feels the conditioning and the depth is where it needs to be on defense, to face an offense that's going to try to run 80, 90, 100 plays on you. And uh, his point was, 
you have to get him off the field. Not that you want to have the conditioning and the depth, you know, to go 80, 90 plays. You want to stop that from happening in the first place. Now, Missouri obviously was not able to stop that from happening, but that's got it. If you're, if you're talking about early keys and keys to victory and all that stuff that we'll be taking on, you know, talking about as the, as the week goes on, that that's got to be one of them. It is. I mean, Missouri, I, I did go back and get to watch some of that game earlier today, Wes, the Tennessee Missouri game at Duke. Whoa. That was an absolute stomping. Uh, Tennessee, as someone I spoke with earlier today, uh, said it. Ten- Tennessee could have scored 80 in that game if they wanted. I mean, it, it was really bad. Missouri fired their defensive line coach uh, in the aftermath of that game. Um, there were some thoughts that maybe more than that would have happened, but that, that was kind of the, the person that ended up falling on the sword was the D-line coach. And, yes, yeah, so Tennessee presents a lot of problems. Um, you know, they can play with tempo. Everybody thinks about Josh Heupel and passing the football, and certainly that's something that they do. Um, especially with that tempo, they'll take deep shots. Um, they'll throw underneath a lot, but they like to run the ball. As Shane Beamer pointed out, uh, they're running it more at a higher rate than anybody else in the conference. And Tyon Evans, the Hartsville native who plays for the balls now, had an absolute field day. Uh, Missouri's defense, they played a lot of three-man fronts. Biggest problem I saw is they were just getting blown off the ball. And the linebacker, there was no penetration. So, you know, their linebackers were getting covered up by offense, extra offensive linemen. And there was pretty much an automatic five-yard run a lot of times. And then they made more things happen from there. And then obviously hit some explosive pass plays. Hendon Hooker, the quarterback, can run. This is a very concerning game. To, to your point about the depth, Wes, because I went off on a little bit of a tangent there in terms of Tennessee's scheme, this is a big problem area, in my opinion, for South Carolina. There were some things against Troy that I thought were concerning. And we've talked about this throughout the year, that this defense has been very opportunistic. They've been very good at tightening up in terms of limiting points. They've been very good at getting turnovers. Part of that is what you do. We saw them straight up force some turnovers against Troy. We saw some against Kentucky that were, you know, a little bit of both. You know, you get gifted some. You don't want to be overly reliant on turnovers. If you get it and you're talented at it, that's fantastic. But there were some things kind of between the 20s that I thought were really concerning for South Carolina. Troy had really struggled running the ball uh, before this game. They ran it with some success. I think the linebacker issues for South Carolina are still there with depth being one of those main problems. Damani Staley, who's in there, was the primary backup at Mike and Will with Sherrod Green out. He's now the Mike backer. He played every defensive snap in the Troy game. I think it was 72 snaps. Brad Johnson played all but, I think, seven. So for a team that likes to go fast in Tennessee that can run a variety of different types of plays and do it quickly and do it efficiently, this is a potential problem. So how will it be remedied? Obviously, the biggest one is, well, get off the field. (laughs) You know, only run 50 plays or so. That's the ideal scenario. But if that doesn't happen, when the adversity hits, what do you do? So will we see more Mokaba? Daryl Ware, we maybe see some Debo Williams, who's primarily played on special teams this year. That, that to me, is a concern area because Tennessee can challenge your linebackers schematically, and then their tempo challenges you, and then their number of plays will be a challenge for South Carolina too. Well, I think, Chris, uh, the, the scary part about that is we know for a fact, because the staff has said it publicly, we know for a fact they want to get to the point where they're rotating linebackers more. You know, it's it's not it's not by design by any means that it's come to that. And they uh, n- not that it was ever going to be like a 50-50 split, but we you know, you and I talked about it how last year and, and really prior years South Carolina was playing just the same guys at certain positions and how A it wears you down throughout a game, B it wears you down throughout a season. See, it's more opportunities to get hurt. So, you know, even if it's 70-30, just having that breather could be the difference in getting worn down and not getting worn down throughout all of those spaces of time. So we we know South Carolina wants to be able to do some rotation. The fact that they have not, um, you know, really the last couple of games, especially in in Damani Staley's spot at the mic, um, you know, it is a little bit uh, concerning. You know, I I think – for me, Damani Damani is 
giving it like everything he has. Like Damani um, is a veteran player. He uh, he plays incredibly hard. He's playing. I, I believe he is like at the top of of his ability right now, as far as how he's playing, he's maximizing his ability. Um, you know, but, but some, but sometimes, uh, you know, these guys are going to get caught inside. You have, you know, your other linebacker, Brad Johnson, who I think for the most part has played very well and has been good, especially in blitz situations, but is let, let's be, let's be honest. He is playing a different position than really he's played his entire career. So, when those guys, I I thought against Troy, that was part of the issue a few times. Either linebackers getting caught up inside, or whoever was setting the edge, um, not stringing those plays out. And and basically, you don't always know live when you're watching who exactly was supposed to set the edge. But a lot of times, either that defensive end, um, you know, or, or maybe a linebacker is coming up the field, lets the running back get to the outside, and, and then what what really was maybe a well-defended play for about everybody else in the box, right? So, like, everybody else sort of did their job and filled their gap. But if you lose contain, none of the rest of it matters, and and it ends up being a a 10, 12, 13-yard run. Yeah, and I saw one of those – one of them instances that you mentioned, Wes, with losing contain on the edge, well-defended play. It was when Troy was kind of backed up, ended up getting a first down run. They even had a defender. A safety was kind of running the alley just kind of took a bad angle, overran it a little bit, gave up the edge, first down run. And so these are the types of things, though, that if you go and you watch the the game, Missouri and Tennessee, it's what Missouri had problems with, losing the edge, losing contain, um, inside getting their linebackers covered up, false steps, tentativeness, where you let the offensive line, who a lot of times they were zone blocking, and then they're climbing to the second level. There's no penetration, so they've got free offensive linemen coming up the field. You're in trouble as a defense in that scenario unless you've got a linebacker who can just stop a pull, a, a 300-pound offensive guard running right at you, which most teams don't. You're, you're going to have some issues with that. So I think what Joseph is pointing out right here from YouTube you know, is, is a great point. Um, five yards of carry since losing Sherrod, that might be a game cut rust stat of the day or stat of the week. I've not vouched for it. I have, I can't back up that stat, but I mean there there have been some issues. We saw them against Kentucky, which we knew that'd be a good offensive line, good backs, good team. But we also saw it against Troy, which is concerning. And so I think based on what we saw against Tennessee and Missouri last week, not saying the Gamecocks are going to give up sixty points and four hundred something rushing yards, but Tennessee is very capable of doing that. So definitely a definitely a potential problem. Wes, I think it's time to – I've got like three things in a row, kind of a, a mid-show break here. Well, you don't even have to do anything, man. We'll just let Brandon here do it for us. I know. Look at Brandon. Just read this I mean, comment. He, he's all over it. I actually do have a game cut Russ stat of the week. But two, okay. two different things. Let me, let me hit them if you don't mind. All right, so first of all, we do want to hit for Ty Adams, our buddy, Dead Soxy. All right, I'm going to hit that first. Dead Soxy. Go to their website, deadsoxy.com, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. Check out their college socks line with the Spurs socks. That If you're on YouTube, you see them in the top left-hand corner. But they also have athletic socks, dress socks, no-shows, all with the buttery soft feel and patented no-slip technology. Go to deadsoxy.com and you'll get 25% off your order with promo code COCKY. The other exciting thing that we have, Wes, before I get to the Gamecock Rust stat of the week, a lot of people may have seen when we put up the comment there um, that we now have a expanded and expanded partnership with our good friends at Primal Gourmet. Wes, I picked up my meal pack for this week earlier. Ate lunch, buffalo chicken tenders, homemade ranch, absolutely outstanding. So Every time that you see uh, a comment or a question come up here on GC Live, you will also see the Primal Gourmet logo right there. They are now the exclusive presenting sponsor of our chat line, our comment line, our friends at Primal Gourmet. So, Wes, I know you're going to pick yours up later. Wes and I both now are on the list to get meal packs every week, the carnivore pack, double meat, highly recommend. And you can actually go to their website at primalgourmetsc.com. Use the promo code GCOC20 
to get a discount off your first order. Primal Gourmet has healthy food that's delicious. Um, if you if you want to eat healthier, but you don't have time to meal prep or you don't really know how, you can simply get them to either deliver it or you can have them deliver it to a location that's near you. They have locations in Columbia and Charleston. And Wes, one more bonus. Every time that we put up a comment or question here on the show with, of course, the Primal Gourmet logo, that person's going to be eligible for a contest or a drawing to get a free meal from Primal because I have some free meals to give out. So little addition there. Dig it, um, dig it, dig it. Yeah, man. Good stuff. So basically, if, if we pick your comment, you're entered automatically. You got it. Hopefully you like food. And I, dude, I'm, I'm excited. Cause I'm trying, I'm trying to get myself back in shape. Like that's when the season hits. I'm, oh, yeah. y'all, y'all see me. I'm like eating on the show. I'm like eating on the run. It's like nonstop. I got to get my tail back in shape and uh, hopefully Primal Gourmet is going to help with that. Uh, did you, did you have a, another stat? Yeah, I, I have a stat and it's more related to the game kite defense. Um, I know we were talking a little bit, you know, about Tennessee's offense. So it kind of fits. Let me put up another banner. This will be our Gamecock Russ stat of the week. What's up, Russ? Hope you're doing well. Hope you can join us live at some point, some other time. But here we go. The Athletic has republished, Wes, their – they have something called stop rate. And so that is the percentage of a defense's drives that end in punts, turnovers, or a turnover on downs for the opposing team. and so. Wes, would you care to venture a guess at which program is the number one in the country at stop rate on defense? Okay, stop rate is basically you you create you don't give up a touchdown. It, it's so the, let's say you have fifty drives or so. Just pick any number. Yes. You take the percentage of of those drives in which the opposing offense either has to punt or turns the ball over or turns the ball over on downs. Okay. So the cool. other, the, so yeah, the other side of that would be, um, the other percentage of that would be that you gave up a touchdown or a field goal, I believe, basically. It, it would have to be. Yes. Yeah, so number one in the country. I mean, I feel like you're bringing it up for a reason. Um, it, is it South Carolina? It, it is not. It is Georgia, but still. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I did bring it up for a reason. I wasn't just. All right, that's it. That's our stat of the week. No, no, no. Um, South Carolina is up there, though. Um, actually, Wes, Troy is number 16, 77.2% uh, stop rate. And they also kind of measure like a – I guess it would be kind of a points per drive. For instance, Georgia in five games, they've had 61 defensive drives. Their stop rate is 93.4%. So I think they do like a points per drive thing. There's just like a quarter point or drive or something like that. Insane. So um, South Carolina actually right now, Wes is 21st in the country. Okay. That, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> makes a lot more sense. And so our buddy Heath Klein noted on Twitter that South Carolina was atrocious in this category last year. I think they were a hundred and something last year. So point is we were talking earlier about South Carolina, you know, being better at, Sometimes making teams kick field goals, but the biggest thing has been their turnovers. They've been outstanding in the turnover category. They have not always taken advantage of those with, you know, remember at Jalen Foster interception got wiped off the board earlier this year. Jamar Brown's touchdown gets wiped off the board. Um, so there've been some issues there, but more so West, they need, they needed to have taken advantage of the great field position that's been afforded to them. The Kentucky game, I think has been a great example of that, but, South Carolina so far, largely due to turnovers, one of the better teams in the country in uh, stop rate. And this data, I need to properly note it. This is from The Athletic, but the data is courtesy of True Media as well as PFF Pro Football Focus. PFF everywhere, man. Um, so, yeah, Georgia, I guess, would be the obvious one looking back. Uh, what's hindsight? That's one of the better defenses, honestly, but since since you've been watching South Carolina closely, it's up there, right? Probably one of the better, just more top to bottom defenses you've seen. Well, I, I at one point this year, and I've said it multiple times, I'm like, this, this is the best defense I've seen. 
And then I, I stop. Okay, is there some kind of recency bias there or whatever? And, and maybe so, because I think back to some of, you know, you remember Saban before kind of the offensive explosion of, of Nick Saban's teams, how they were run the ball, you know, play action pass, and they were defense. Some of those defensive teams were great. But Georgia is doing this in kind of that modern era of college football where offenses have exploded. Scoring's up way, way up from that kind of era, the early Nick Saban at Alabama era. So given that, man, and we'll see how it goes the rest of this year, I, I think this is one of the better – it might be the best. And you can talk to some people that have been around the game for a long time, coaches, uh, observers of the game, who will tell you that this this is the best that they've seen, in their opinion. Now, is there some recency bias there? Maybe so. But but I think there's something to the notion. Yeah, no doubt, man. I, I think that um, you look and obviously to, if you're if you're not giving up what one touchdown like to this point, like that's that, that's freaking insane. But then so the results are there, but then you also look at your the eye test and just the way these guys can run up front um, while also still having the proper size, the proper strength, all that stuff. It's not like they're a bunch of undersized guys that can run. They, they have it all up front. And it kind of – it does cover them up a little bit on the back end. That will be the thing. Is there a team that's going to be able to protect enough or run the football just enough to expose them on the back end a little bit, to me, will be the thing to watch with this Georgia team. But, yeah, so far, obviously, very, very impressive. Dude, I think um, the thing for me, getting back to the South Carolina side of things, I don't know that you can count on this number of turnovers coming every single game. And, you know, I look back, especially, you know, like you said, some of them are forced. Some of them are your guys – if you're a South Carolina fan, going out and and just making a play. Some of them are just the other team fumbles and you fall on it and uh, they gave you one. You can't count on the other team giving you one and you can't count even on, on being able to force one because it, it just – you may not have an opportunity. So I think from that perspective, the things we're talking about, like the little issues that are showing, the fact Troy was able to run the football pretty successfully – now you go into facing a Tennessee team that runs the ball, as Beamer said. They've run the ball literally more times as far as attempts than anybody else in the conference. So that's that's actually, y'all, that's a pretty bad matchup for South Carolina. Like on paper, that's a scary matchup for South Carolina. So I think when you look at those things, you're saying, not, not in any way are you saying it's fool's gold from the defense. They've earned it. They deserve it. And they're playing, I believe, I don't want to say if they're playing above their heads, but they're playing, I believe, to their potential. Can you count on it consistently for the final seven games of the year? Uh, probably not. So that's why some of these other issues, Chris, are going to have to continue to improve and get better. Or your offense is going to have to continue to improve to where when the defense does have that game, because that game will come and people will freak out and – you shouldn't because you should expect it. There will be a game where the defense doesn't get the turnovers and another team has a lot of success. Can the offense then match the opponent and keep South Carolina in the game when that pressure to do so is there? I will say this, man, as much as, uh, as, much as we've been hard on the offense, rightfully so, I did like the fact that when they sort of turned the passing game loose this past week, and let Dodie just go throw it around, he's going first read, second read, third, going through progressions, delivering the football. Was he completely accurate on every throw? No, no quarterback is. But I thought when they tried to just throw the ball around and spread it around a little bit, um, that there were some good throws from Dodie and this offense uh, throwing into what to me looked like a Troy zone-heavy defense. It looked like they were sitting back deep zone, making you throw down the lanes and that South Carolina was doing that. Yeah. And I think that's been uh, maybe one of the more pleasant surprises about this offense, you know, especially given the circumstances with us, you know, questions at receiver Luke Doty, everybody kind of coming into this year, looking for him to take a step forward. Well, lo and behold, he's injured and misses basically a month of practice. 
and kind of has to reintegrate after that injury. And then he's on the job training because he's still a young guy. And I think he's shown some impressive things. Josh Van, you know, having a good year. Um, they need to continue to get better at the receiver position. But I do think that's been a stronger area. I mean, who saw coming into this year that if, if you had to make a play call, let's say you've got a third and five, Wes, or a third and four, what are you calling right now? I'm calling a pass play for South Carolina, right, based on what we've seen. Now, you could say, well, it shouldn't be that way, and I agree with you. It shouldn't. The, the running game need, was supposed to be, and in my opinion, still needs to be this team's bread and butter. So can they get that fixed? I don't know. But the passing game has been good enough to be able to keep them in some games. Here's the issue, particularly in light of your comments about how South Carolina is going to inevitably have that defensive game where they're not, they don't get three turnovers. You know, maybe, maybe the other team fumbles and, and gets it back. Like we saw a time or two again in the Kentucky game, even though they put the ball on the ground plenty of times, maybe there's a dropped interception. Maybe there's not as many opportunities that crop up during the game. But it's going to happen. So how does the defense respond in, the, in those instances? Do teams ultimately go and drive the field, you know, in that circumstance? Or does the defense get a stop? This is a game against Tennessee. The offense has got to do more than one offensive touchdown. There's no doubt. If, if you, you can't say, all right, if South Carolina scores 17, they win this game. I don't think there's any way that happens. Even if the defense plays well, you can't bank on that. So the offense is going to have to score. They're going to have to score to be able to win this game. And so I think that's a concern because we haven't really seen this offense do it against anybody. And then B, we've seen some concerning things from the defense, even though they've still played very, very well this season. This is in some ways, I think, a bad matchup, you know, for the Gamecocks defensively against this Vols team. So uh, you mentioned a second ago and uh... – Sorry, y'all. I look like I'm doing today's show in a freaking closet. I nor I normally have the I use the natural light. I don't know about where y'all are in Columbia right now, but it is storming um, where I am. Uh, I use the natural light because the overhead light is is not good for this stuff, and uh, it it looks awful right now. So I apologize for that, Chris. We're buying ring lights today. It's happening. We're doing yep. it. Yep. Um, time to upgrade, right? Eighteen dollars on Amazon, but dude. Let's go in. I, I think you mentioned a second ago the uh, fact they did not take advantage of some opportunities on where they were provided by the defense. Of course, the biggest one, the one that's been talked about nationally now, the fumble at the goal line. Man, y'all, J- Jamar Brown, by every single indication, is a great kid, hard worker, is a smart kid, like – one of those guys that does everything right. I know I, I can speak for Chris too. I, I think we've always been sort of, you know, high on Jamar and his ability to to impact this program eventually. And as Beamer said today, nobody felt worse than Jamar Brown. I want to say, I, I want to commend him. He stood up there today. He talked to the media. He said, look, uh, you know, it's my bad. There's nothing he can do at this point. Apparently they were talking about it on Monday Night Football. Yesterday, the come on, man. Um, and, you know, Jamar, Jamar said, and I'll quote him from today, he said, I hate to say I'm glad to be a reference because um, obviously he didn't want that to happen. But hate to say I'm glad to be a reference, but I'm glad I can be a reference point for other people to run the ball through the end zone. It's unfortunate it happened, and it's unfortunate I made a mistake that could have cost my team. I felt very terrible about it. At this point in time, there's nothing else for me to do but move on and for my team to do but move on. I apologize to Coach Beamer, and I'm going to take every step to move on from here. Uh, let's say, let's see. He goes on to say, I let it roll off my back, but I understand playing football. This is what I signed up for. At the end of the day, I know I signed up for positive. I signed up for negative. I signed up for good comments and bad comments. I signed up for criticism. I know what I signed up for playing football, especially playing football in the SEC in the highest conference. Those, Chris, are the words of a very mature young man who uh, took what, let's be honest, y'all, it's so easy to sit on Twitter or on our message boards, 
and say, why would you throw the ball up in the air before you cross the goal line? But for one, we're talking about a defensive player. I'm not making excuses by any means. Talking about a defensive player, talking about a guy who literally was in the process of making the biggest, most exciting play of his young college career. And the play happens so fast that I imagine as you're running to the end zone, it's probably a bit of a blur at that point. So it seems it's really, really easy, y'all, to say, well, why would you do that? But we all know Jamar Brown didn't mean to do it. So then you say, why did he do it? It was all a blur. It was something that happened. He owned it. Time to move on. He actually, the, the sad thing for him is he probably played his best game as a Gamecock up yep. until that point, you know? So uh, Jamar is going to bounce back. Jamar is needed on this football team. Let's be honest. He's very much needed on this football team. But, man, I go go watch the video, y'all. It's, it's posted on YouTube now. YouTube.com slash Gamecocks Online is the official USC YouTube. Listen to Jamar talk. Very, very impressed with how he has handled this moving forward, man. And um, can promise you no chance he ever does that again. Uh, but I, I felt for him, man. I, I felt really bad seeing, like, the memes and the, the stuff on Twitter after it happened. Yeah, and, and look, everybody knows it was a mistake, like everybody. And so I understand fans being mad about it at the time because, as Jamar rightly pointed out, like in that game that's close – it could have cost the team, right? And, and could have cost them the game. Could have cost them the game, and it's literally the difference between you know, just step taking one more step, and you're probably good, right? People say, "Well, hand the ball to the ref." Yeah, understand that, but there are lots of plays in football where the player doesn't hand the ball to the ref. You throw the ball down, you th- whatever, you know. And so nobody's excusing it or saying it was a good thing, but it's kind of like since it happened, where do you go from here? Do you want Jamar Brown to quit football because of it? Do you want him to be kicked off the team? Do you want? I mean, you know, like seriously, like some people are still kind of on this thing um, rather than just moving on. And what you want it to be is an example. And I thought his response was great. It kind of reminds me, Wes, of like when a kid makes a mistake, like a disciplinary mistake. And some of them are so bad that you, you know, a coach has to cut ties or something like that. But, you know, I think people nowadays are so quick to we've got to punish that guy or there has to be some kind of repercussions or there's there has to be some kind of societal lesson about this or whatever. Nick Saban gave a great example of this one time with Moose and Muhammad, former Carolina Panther, where he got in a little bit of trouble at Michigan State. Saban got killed because he gave him a second chance. And Saban then lit, he gave he gave him a second chance. Moose and Muhammad ended up playing in the NFL, having several kids. His daughter was about to go to the Ivy League when he told this story. So he's like, so you want me to do that or put him on the street or something? You know, that's, that's a much more broad, much more, frankly, important example than something that happened with football. But I saw a lot of people just absolutely roasting Jamar, like, personally for something like this. And it's just kind of, look, it happened. It was terrible, whatever term you want to use boneheaded what whatever you want to say but it's over and so how do you learn from it and so clearly he has learned from it I wouldn't expect it to happen again like you said Wes and the hope has to be he can just move forward and that this isn't going to affect you know his confidence and things like that because he is needed well and Chris let you know you look at this thing and it's a lot easier I'm sure for anybody to swallow it considering South Carolina won the game. Like, it's one of those things. Some, some, I don't. It's never a good thing when this happens, but sometimes mistakes being made, but then still winning the game, you can learn from it without the alternative, which is almost unthinkable, and that would have been if South Carolina went on to, to lose this game. And you look back, let's be honest, if, if he scores there, the game is pretty much over. Like, it's... It's not officially over, obviously, but it's pretty much over. So um, it could have, could have been a much worse situation, but now it becomes a learning experience. And I, I won't even just say Jamar Brown will never do it again. No one else on the 2021 South Carolina football team will do it again. 
You know, if it's me, I'm like covering up a- as I roll into the end zone. Um, Cause that, that one, and the thing is, Chris, we've seen this happen before with guys, you know, like it every now and then, you know, and it's one thing, what was the play? Josh Van got hit going into the end zone and he fumbles trying to score. That's one thing. But we see guys in the open field, nobody around them. And this happens. We've seen it in the NFL. Deshaun so, Jackson, I think, was a really yeah. notable one one year. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how it happens, but it clearly does happen. All right. What, um, what, what else? We're kind of getting into the final minutes here of the show. If y'all have any final questions of the show for today, throw them in our Primal Gourmet uh, chat line. And Chris, did you have any other thoughts from um, from either Beamer or the players today? You know, with Beamer, I, I think, man, he he had to answer some more questions. And when I say had to, not like it's a bad thing. I mean, he's the head coach and those questions have to be answered. Just more stuff, not only about Jamar's, you know, uh, situation we were just discussing, but just kind of the the penalties, like the team discipline. And he, and he talked on that a little bit and the need to get that corrected. And he even brought forth some specific examples. You know, he brought up, uh, who was it? Buffalo, Wes? Ah, can you remind me? It was Buffalo and some other, to Old Dominion. Old Dominion, yep, yep. Playing the football game. And one team had ended up coming all the way back, had a chance after they scored the touchdown. They were super excited because you don't come back like that very often. Just like Jamar Brown doesn't get a scoop and score very often. Um, and they were so excited that some players came on the field, took their helmets off, penalty, right? So now they, they're backed up 15 yards on their extra point. They miss it, they lose the game. So they come all the way back and they lose on a penalty. And so we have seen many penalties that have been um, game altering, sick. Situation altering, which really means game altering, Wes. I mean, think about some of the penalties that we saw in the Troy game or some of the decisions that were made that could have been game altering. They're certainly situation altering. And we saw some even against Kentucky, you know, some different things there that could have been done better. And so, you know, my takeaway from that, really, I I don't know kind of what the answer is. Shane Beamer hasn't really outlined here's exactly what we're doing other than they're continuing to address it. But the need for this team, I think, Wes, to play a cleaner game um, in terms of the pre-snap penalties, but also the post-snap stuff, which was a bigger issue against Troy, you know, it's there. And it's, it's a real thing, and it's something they're going to have to improve on, you know, this coming week against Tennessee. Let's, uh, let's hit this question real quick from Brandon. Um, what is the run-pass breakdown for the South Carolina offense, 30-70, 50-50? Um, Brandon, real quick, are you asking what has it been, as in, like, Officially, what has it been through five games? Or are you more asking, what will it be this weekend? What should it be, et cetera, et cetera? Um, go ahead and, and throw that in the comment. I think there's a little delay, and then I'll, I'll get to that question. Um, H-Man says, is it just me, or does Juju seem to have an extra boost of energy on these game-winning drives? Um, he had another big run this week. Chris, I think there might be something to that. I, I think Juju brings an extra boost just to the field anyway. Like there, there's a lot to there's a lot to like, as Chris Clark would say, uh, about this kid. There's a reason Des Kitchings was so high on him. There's a reason South Carolina um sort of uh came in and, and solidified an offer to him and really wanted him despite the fact that they had a loaded backfield. And part of the reason is he's an explosive guy, but he's kind of got he brings the juice, I, I think is, is a great way to say it. So um, you know, I, I think Chris, um, it, it's kind of interesting. I don't know about you in the back of my mind. I always sort of, even with all the hype from Juju during the preseason and, and I knew how high Dez was on him coming in and all that stuff. I was just thinking it, it's, it may not matter this year because there's so many of these other guys that in my mind, were going to be ahead of them. Yeah. He but he's found the field and found an impact anyway. He has, and I think um, you know, he he's had a lot of success on those outside runs, those kind of pop passes, some outside zone runs. The teams have to be cognizant when he's in the game that that may be coming and he's still done a great job with it. 
Um, it, it's kind of it's been interesting, Wes, because some of the plays that he's hit on, and there have been some negative plays. So let's let's be straight with that. There've been negative plays any running back that's been in the game this year, but he's hit some of them, and sometimes they've just found the right combination of a of a good play call versus a particular defense. And then it being blocked well and them not having any procedural issues. And then Juju is just so adept at bursting to the outside, being able to make a guy miss or find a little bit of a crease on the outside and go get some positive yardage. So he's been significant for this team. And, uh, you know, we, we may see him continue to get even more opportunities. I think, Wes, side note, it would be great if Marshawn Lloyd could have an opportunity when he carries the football for a positive play, he's, he's kind of almost been snake bitten is how I've described it by, you know, he's not getting a lot of carries as it is right now, but the few that he's getting, he hasn't had much of an opportunity. So that, that'd be great to see. Kevin Harris came on a little bit towards the end against Troy McDowell certainly had the lion's share of the more explosive runs this season. And so they'll have to continue getting him the ball because they need that. So let's go back to Brandon's question now, Chris. He He's basically talking about Tennessee game, says we threw it more against Troy than we had in the past. What's the plan for, for UT? Um, some, some of it will be game dictated, as we know. Dude, I Chris, I think a lot of what we saw this past Saturday kind of has to be the plan moving forward. To me, you, you can't. You can't just keep trying to run the ball inside if it's not going to hit. Now, does that mean you never call it? Uh, of course not. They're still going to have to make those calls. Sometimes you you call a run knowing you might get one yard, just frankly to to show it's there. But you know, I, I think uh, you know, and I don't have the numbers as far maybe PFF has this. How many times South Carolina throws the ball on first down versus running the ball on first down? It felt to me like they threw the ball on first down and second downs a lot more this past week than they had at any point early in the season. If anything, Chris, not not from like a scheme standpoint or how it's designed, but just from a run-pass play call standpoint, to me it felt a lot more kind of like back when Spurrier was was all about throwing the ball on, on early downs. Uh, to me, a little bit more aggressive. To me, that, that's going to have to be what they do until the running game really gets going. I think Luke has proved, even as young as he is, even as inexperienced as he is, that he can throw the ball around for you. This is not a guy that's just throwing, like, missing receivers, you know, all over the place. To me, that's what what you saw Saturday. It's sort of probably the offense until, you know, if. It's a big if at this point. You've seen five games of of data. Yeah. Until yeah. the running game gets going, you, you you almost have to go like air raid and say we're going to throw short passes instead of running the football. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, you you can't take what we've seen the first five games and say, ah, well, you know, it'll it'll get fixed in in the S during in the middle of the SEC schedule. You know, I mean, you can't really say that. Now, if let's say we get to the Tennessee game and South Carolina lines it up and they're calling some of their base runs and they're hitting against Tennessee, great. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. Maybe that means that they corrected some of the smaller issues that the staff feels like has added up to bigger problems. The backs look great. They look comfortable, right? Maybe it's that. And then they're scheming up some other runs like we saw with Josh Van. Maybe they're doing some creative things there, which they're going to have to do. But they really need to start hitting on more of those base runs too, Wes, um, whether it's installing something new or just, have, you know, the inside zone. I mean, people are saying, don't run inside zone anymore. Well, you're probably still going to see it, right? But one thing we know is when you do run it, run it better. Now, that's up to the staff and the players to figure out, not us here on GC Live, and I'm thankful for that. But, look, that, that's what they've got to do to get it turned around. But we, we do know that Luke has proved, like you said, that does he need to get better? Sure. The receivers need to get better. Absolutely. Like, the pass protection at times can be better. But – they have schemed up some things in the passing game that have worked, and I think a little bit more than I anticipated, Wes. So that's maybe the direction they're going to have to go and then build the run game off of that. All I'm saying, Chris, is pin and pull for life. Um, we need right. more pin and pull. And I will say this. the um, I thought their most successful concept and approach Saturday was under center, 
um, sort of deep play action, like not not your shotgun play action where it's kind of sometimes RPO, you're showing the football to the opponent. I mean, true old-school quarterback turns his back to the defense, deep play action fake, boot the quarterback out, and then you have sort of the uh, the layered routes, the leveled routes where it's a high-low. Um, yep. Th- those can be successful against man coverage. The high-low aspect of it means they can be successful against zone coverage. Um, they involve your quarterback's feet, which, you know, they've talked about trying to get Doty a little bit more involved in the running game. Um, to me, that that was their best, most successful concept. And Luke throws the ball very well on the run. So, um, you know, there was another play, Chris. You might remember the one second half. They rolled Luke against the grain, like against his body. And he, dude, he whipped his shoulders around, got back square to the ball, and threw a shot to, um, I believe it was Josh Van for a completion. And, um, you know, to me, Luke throwing on the run is one of the best things this offense does. That actually pairs well with those under center stretch plays, whatever you want to call it, outside zone, stretch zone, um, that South Carolina had success with against ECU in the second half because it's similar uh, footwork. To, to start with as far as what the defense is seeing. So I'm I'm wondering if that's maybe not something that we see a little bit more of. I liked that even though the running game wasn't necessarily working, that they still used play action because we like to say, oh, you have to establish the run. Not even necessarily. The linebackers are still going to come firing in. Even if they're stopping the run, they're going to want to keep stopping the run. So – you can have success with play action even if you're not able to run the football. I think that's like a a misnomer or like a misunderstanding a lot of times that you have to have a running game to to use play action. So I, I liked that aspect. I hope we see a little bit more of that. I liked the pin and pull last year. I think uh, we probably need to continue to see more of that. And you know what? Give some credit where it's due. It's all negative about the O-line. For Sean Lee, Offensive Player of the Week this week, Stepping in his first, I believe that's his first career start. Um, you know, good for him. Maybe there's something to uh, to build off of there. It seemed to me like early on, man, they didn't necessarily want the two younger guys in at the same time. Um, early on in the season, I mean, you watch the left side when Vershawn Lee was in, especially early in the year, it was always Jazz in at left tackle, and um, whenever Jakai Moore was in. It was always Jalen Nichols in at left guard. I don't know if always is the right word, but most of the time. Now you've started to see them play them at the same time on that left side. they got to fix that side of the line and get more consistent play out of it. But a positive development, I think, from Vershawn Lee, maybe a guy to keep an eye on moving forward. Yeah, Jalen Nichols was, was out for the game. So Vershawn's a guy that you know has some talent, has experience at tackle and guard, and, of course, has been – situated there at that left guard spot and you're right they've had some issues on that left side in terms of consistency and probably even more so at left tackle so need to get that situated and figured out but I think you're right I mean Doty as he continues to get more comfortable I can think I think can be even more of a playmaker for this offense um, whether it's just administering it or hitting some passes downfield or more and more as the season goes on the hope is to use his legs even more I think they were really successful also Wes on some of those boot actions that they use where they're rolling him out. We saw some of the receivers coming kind of across the formation. There was a really, a low key, really good throw that Luke Doty made to Josh Van on one of those plays where he was about to get rung up by a defender and was able to dump it off really accurately to Josh Van too. So there were some new concepts that we saw. They're on film now. They had some productivity with them. But again, we'll go back to that base point. They are going to have to run the football in some form or fashion more effectively, and I, I think you just get the feeling, Wes, that if they could do that, if they could do that, and they've got the personnel that's done it in the past, right? So it's not like just this idea that's just conjured up out of nowhere. They've got the personnel that's done it in the past. They've shown some flashes in the passing game, and they've had an exorbitant amount of penalties that if they can clean some of those things up, Maybe you can put it together enough to put together a solid offensive game, and that's going to be key against Tennessee. Oh, they're going to have to score some points against Tennessee, man. Let's, no doubt. Let's go ahead. Let's be honest. Going to have to happen. We'll talk about that and more. We're going to try to get a Tennessee guest at some point this week. Um, 
by the way, Troy Williamson will be on the show. Uh, that'll probably be tomorrow. That's going to be pre-recorded interview, but a uh, former Gamecock wide receiver, one of the fastest guys in program history. We'll chat with Troy about what he's been up to, about his time um, you know, playing under Lou Holtz, and what he's thought about South Carolina. Troy's still a big Gamecock football fan, so we'll talk about what he has thought about South Carolina so far through five games this season. Chris, uh, that's all I got. You good? All you got? Um, yeah. Mike Yuva, officially on Gamecock Central, full-time. Uh, you see the code right under me, Mix Water. We'll get you uh, free until the Florida game. If you're a listener and not a watcher and you're just uh, you're not seeing it on your screen, go to GamecockCentral.com. There's a promo code that uh, option when you go to checkout. Use Mix Water, all one word, and uh, you can get this site free until the Florida game, uh, basically a free trial. So you can see what we're all about. And uh, we, of course, want to see you join us and uh, come on over, see the website side of things. If you like the podcast, the live show, more of the same, more in-depth analysis on GamecockCentral.com. For Chris, I'm Wes, and we'll see you all on Wednesday. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.